0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, September eighteenth, twenty fourteen. Yeah, just looking at my program notes here. This should be interesting. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, and do some biblical fact-checking, if you would, based upon sound biblical exegesis and hermeneutics. I know those sound like big, fancy words, but basically what it boils down to is uh, rightly understanding what God's Word says, not what we think feel like it says, but what it actually says, when we look at the passages in context, and uh, you know, you get the point. So, all right, so what we're going to be doing today, today is going to be one of those programs, you remember, was it last week or the week before, we had a, an episode entitled Fractured Bible Stories, Fractured Bible Stories. The sermon review is going to kind of be in that genre, if you would. Um, In fact, I'm going to let you know what the sermon review is before we talk about what's coming in hour number one. (laughs) We're going to start at the end of the program. So, uh, have you ever wondered what it sounds like at Patricia King's Church? Well, we've actually done sermon reviews in the past from uh, Patricia King's pastor, Dr. Michael Maiden, and uh, a couple of Sundays ago, um, we're going to play for you a sermon that was not delivered by Patricia King's pastor, but by uh, delivered by somebody from Patricia King's congregation. Uh, his name is Dr. Ray Kirkland, and the name of the sermon is The Anointing Makes the Normal Phenomenal. The Anointing Makes the Normal Phenomenal, and uh, wow, all I can say is the whoppers, they, they are absolute bold-faced lies, I mean, <laughs> just flat-out whoppers, just ginormous, and it uh, makes you wonder, I mean, <laughs> you know, where did he go to seminary, but... Uh, you just just you got to hang on to your hats. This is one that I if you don't listen to the sermon reviews here at Fighting for the Faith, th- th- you know, this one might be just worth it for the kind of like the total train wreckage kind of thing. And uh, and this uh, well, listening to this sermon review will kind of help you methodologically to understand how do you go about, you know, somebody who's Telling stuff like this that you've never heard, you know, outrageous lies about uh, David, uh, King David, his family, his D- King David's father Jesse. How I mean, somebody who's doing these things. How do you kind of put this back in context so that you can not be deceived by uh, these types of well. Tall tales, if you would. So, the the, uh, hour number two. That's what we're going to be doing. Hour number one. Hour number one. We do have a Patricia King gang update. We'll not be hearing from Patricia King, but um, from uh, uh, was it Ron Hotchkin? I forget his name, but we'll we'll figure it out before we uh, get to that port part, which will be coming up very shortly here. And uh, we're going to be listening to a fascinating. Bibles uh, teaching, if you would, supposedly about the importance of acceleration. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to be looking at, I think, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Um, And uh, and this guy is, you know, no joke. I mean, he has no clue how to rightly handle God's Word. And he thinks that whenever you just read a Bible story, what it's showing you are patterns that are supposed to be happening in your life, including... You know, you know. So Jesus's appearance in uh, in the upper room. Uh, uh, Robert Hodgkin, yeah, is this guy's name? He that uh, somehow that this is going to teach you things regarding patterns in your life that you're supposed to follow. So, yeah, when you think the Bible's about you, you are utterly clueless as to what it actually means. As long as you continue to insist that the Bible is about you, and that somehow there's patterns that you've got to glean for yourself that you've got to apply to your life so that you can have the same kind of results that the uh, people in the Bible had— yeah, you have no clue what the Bible's about. It's a locked book. It you yeah, you have no clue what it's about and you're kind of blind and deaf, you know, and you know, and then this is an example of the blind leading the blind if you would. As long as you in, continue to insist the Bible's not about Jesus but it's about you, <laughs> the things you're going to say and see are just outrageous. So well, that's what we're going to do we're, we'll have this uh update from Robert Hotchkin from the Patricia King gang. We'll switch gears and have you heard um of these things called soul ties yeah. I, I i apparently you know i've been asking around about this i've heard this term before uh used by people who are kind of into the word of faith uh movement who've been uh, uh you know schooled at oral robert's university or kind of into the charismatic and, and this is part of their theology this idea of soul ties and uh, so we're going to be doing a an update from terry savell foy where she's going to talk about how to break soul ties and kind of explain what they are. And, well, see, the problem is this, is that the Bible doesn't teach these things called soul ties. So this is kind of one of those mythological man-made doctrines, if you would. And then we have an update from Joel Osteen. Um, where he's, it's the all is well message. Yeah. You know, are things going terribly uh, in your life? You're having bad results? Oh, just say to yourself, all is well. It's, it's you know, kind of similar to what we see on uh, the old Seinfeld episodes with, uh, you know, George Costanza's father saying, Serenity now, serenity now. It's, 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 serenity now, insanity later. But uh, the, the Joel Osteen's theology, it's not biblical. And you know, if, you know, what's wrong with actually acknowledging, hey, you know, God, things aren't going well, rather than just positively saying, oh, it's all is well, all is well, all is well. Yeah, it's like the mind science cults. So, and then we've already talked about what we're gonna do in hour number two. So we've got lots of ground that we need to cover. We're gonna start off with our Patricia King gang update, and that requires us to do this. So, did you know that in the Gospel of John, in one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, that that was Jesus teaching us the importance of um, accelerations through times of transition? Yeah, I didn't know that either. Here's Robert Hotchkin from the uh, XP Media Patricia
1: King gang to explain the details. Here we go. What I want to talk with you about this week, we've been talking about transition. We've been talking about this season that we're in of shifting from one season to a new season to the to the new season and all that God has for us in it. But, you know, we tend to wrestle with transitions. We see it all through the Bible, the wrestles that Israel had in the transition season in the wilderness and and. Even when we have a sense of where God's taking us, when he speaks to us and he encourages us and he shows us things and he whispers to our hearts, oftentimes we get in our minds what it's going to look like, when it's going to happen, and how it's going to be. Mm -hmm.
0: I have no idea what you're talking about, because what you're talking about completely depends upon the idea that I'm supposed to expect direct revelation from God, and nowhere in Scripture am I told to expect that.
1: And God always, always, always does everything he says he's going to do. But he quite often does it in ways we're not expecting. And that's that's the transition. A lot of times, that's one of the great blessings of God, is he does it his way to help us let go of self more. uh uh-huh. I have no idea what you're talking about. Trust him more, because the more we trust him, the more we allow ourselves to lean into him, trust him, get to know him. Now, trusting God's an important thing, and we can trust God in all of our circles.
0: Circumstances, but having listened to this prior to coming on the air today, I don't think that
1: what you're going to be pointing us to in the Bible actually teaches what it is that you're saying. The more of him we can share with the world. So I want to share with you one of God's secret strategies of how we can accelerate into destiny, about how we can... Secret strategies for accelerating into destiny... Really? The Bible teaches this? Accelerate through transition seasons. And we find it in John 20. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 20 verse 19. And John 20 verse 19. Yeah, we're off to a bad start here. I'm going to I'm going to read to you from there, but I want to set the stage a little bit. Jesus has been walking with the disciples for three years, teaching them, mentoring them, coaching them, encouraging them, exhorting them, edifying them, letting them know everything that's going to happen. And everything has got according to plan, but they're still freaking out. Because even though he explained, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be found guilty, I'm going to be scourged, I'm going to be killed, and then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead everything's going according to plan, and the disciples uh, disciples are still wrestling in the transition season because it's not going how they thought it would. It's not looking how they... Wrestling through the transition season? What are you talking about? They thought it would. And how many of you can relate to that? I know I've been there. I know I've been there when I, I'm right in the midst of God bringing forth all his promises, but it's not exactly how I thought it would be, so I'm wrestling a little bit. But the beauty of it is those are the seasons when we can accelerate by simply choosing to let go and trust God. And this is what
0: <laughs> let go and let God, Jesus take the wheel. So this, this is the great Jesus take the wheel passage. Um, You know, not at all. In fact, let's take a look at what's going on in the gospel of John chapter 20. Now he starts on uh, at verse 19. Well, let's start at verse one. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of biblical study here and, and I'm going to just keep reading. I'm going to read through this, and you point out, you know, in your mind, just make a mental note. Okay, there's the part right there where this is teaching us the importance of acceleration during times of transition. (laughs) Why was this passage written? Well, this was not written so that you can learn acceleration. No, I'll, I'll kind of explain that in a minute. But John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, by the way, first day of the week, this is the, uh, it's the Sunday, first day of the week, um, you know, right after Jesus's crucifixion on Friday. And it says this, now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple whom the one whom Jesus loved said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths uh, lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a in, in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping, "...outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet, and they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' And she said to them, "'They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him.' Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus.' Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and to your Father, to my God, and to your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sins, withhold forgiveness from any, it is already withheld. Yeah, so there's your text. There's your pericope. It is... Literally, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, did you catch the part about acceleration through periods of transition? Yeah, no, because uh, um, that you know, this is not what this passage is about. Now, let's just scooch down a little bit to John chapter 20, verse 30. Uh huh. And verses 30 and 31. Why were these things written? Were they written so that you can understand patterns and identify ways in which God works during periods of acceleration so that you can know, so that you can understand, you know, God's promises he's whispered into your ear? No, no. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's the purpose for the Gospel of John being written, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you might have life in his name, plain and simple. That's what the Gospel of John is about. And I would even say these these miracles post-resurrection and these appearances, although there's other appearances that John could have written about, Okay, these ones were personally selected by John for the whole purpose that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, might have life, eternal life in his name. That's what this text is about. But, yeah, Robert Hodgkin, yeah, he's not so much understanding that this is what this passage is about. He thinks it's about him, mm-hmm. and he's teaching you that it's about you, and it's not. It's about Jesus, and John wants you to believe in Jesus. But uh, Robert Hodgkin wants you to believe in those things that you think God has whispered into your heart, and you just look at, oh, here's how the disciples work during a time of transition, and so you need to just you know, learn the application that during a time of transition, this is how this was done, so this is how it needs to be with you. That's completely to miss the whole point of this text. This text isn't about you learning anything about seasons or
1: times of transition. We see in John 19. So let's start in verse 20. It says, that evening, on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. So the disciples are literally locked up in fear here. They're behind locked doors because they're afraid of what's happened to Jesus might happen to them. And instead of rejoicing and celebrating and worshiping God, saying, yes, God, everything's going according to plan. Basically, they're locked up in a room freaking out. Um, they weren't exactly freaking out. It does say that they were in the upper room for-
0: fear of the Jews. But if you remember when I read the text it, in verse 9, chapter 20, it says, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Jesus, although Jesus told them that he was going to rise from the dead, they, they didn't understand the scripture. They didn't understand what was going on. Dead people don't rise. So the text makes it very clear the reason why they're fearing the jews is because they did not yet understand that jesus had to
1: rise from the dead and that this is what the scriptures taught we continue but you know what i love about our jesus he doesn't get mad at us he doesn't give up on us in in that moment it says suddenly jesus was standing there amongst them and he says peace be with you so here's jesus He suddenly appears as the risen Lord. And his word to them is not, guys, what are you doing? Why are you freaking out? Why are you afraid? I talked you through this. I coached you through this. Come on, man. No, he steps into their midst and he says, peace be unto you. And here's what's really amazing. That word peace in the Greek is irene, And here's what it means. The the blessed state of a devout and upright man after death do you see it? Uh,
0: which lexicon were you reading that from? Because um, arene yeah, has multiple meanings. And the question is, what does it mean in context? And we've got a real problem here. And uh, the, what I mean by that is, is that what this guy is saying is, well, it's not correct. It's not accurate. I know Greek. I've been reading Greek for two decades and what he's said here doesn't actually jive with you know any Greek lexicon that I've been able to find but let me read to you from uh, Bdag which is the premier New Testament uh, and church father Greek lexicon you yeah, know Koine Greek lexicon a number 1 it's a state of concord peace or harmony two a state of well-being peace this corresponds with the Hebrew word shalom huh <laughs> you know So those are your two primary (laughs) meanings for um, Irene, and uh, this is the world's premier uh, Greek lexicon, you know, for those who work in the biblical text. And so I don't know where Robert Hodgkin got his definition of Irene, but um, it shows that he doesn't actually know Greek, and he's done some kind of a quote-unquote word study um, but you know, the word studies can only take you so far. You have to understand what the word means in context. And no, Jesus wasn't saying peace be with you. Like dudes, peace, like the peace I'm talking about, man, like for after
1: you die kind of peace. That wasn't what Jesus was saying. Jesus steps into their midst while they're freaking out. And he basically says, guys, Hurry up and die to yourselves. Guys, here is a gift from your risen Lord, the grace to die to yourselves, to get past fear, to get... Yeah, that's not what Jesus was saying. Past misunderstanding, to get past confusion, and to step into everything that I'm making available to you, that I've been talking to you about for the last three years. Stop freaking out. Everything's going according to plan. Stop looking at things from man's perspective and getting locked up in fear and confusion, and start rejoicing in the goodness of God, who's bringing you into everything. And let's go out and impact the whole wide world. Yeah, boy. Jesus sure did say a lot with just that one word, you know? But how many of you know when you're dealing with somebody who's freaking out and you tell them, hey, don't freak out, that's not always that effective? Usually the exact opposite happens. You'll say, hey, why are you so anxious? Why are you freaking out? Calm down. Usually the response is, what do you mean calm down? Don't you understand what's going on? You should be freaking out. Let me tell you how things are. Let me open your eyes to how terrible things are and how much you should be freaking out. Jesus. Have you know, back in the day
0: when uh, somebody would freak out like that, the way the movies would portray it, you know, somebody would go take, you know, take their hand, just slap them in the face. Come to it, man. Come to it. Snap out of it. Pull yourself together. Y- y- don't do that. <laughs> you can't do that nowadays. But uh, and nobody depicts it that way anymore. It, it would be considered like domestic violence or
1: something. You know, the perfect plan when he said peace be unto you, it says here. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. See,
0: (laughs) that's not what happened in this appearance. That was the second appearance, and that was to Thomas. See, now you're conflating the post-resurrection appearances in John chapter 20.
1: Yeah, when you teach the Bible, you gotta pay attention to details, you know? What Jesus did when he said peace be unto you, is he showed them the wounds in his hands. He showed them the wounds in his side. He showed them the tangible display of his love. He put on display for them the proof that he's completely trustworthy, the proof that he totally loves them, that there is nothing he would not do to bring them into everything that he has promised. And in any Anytime when we're having a freak out, anytime when we're scared, anytime when we catch ourselves out of faith and in fear, the best thing we can do is look to the cross. The best thing we can do is look to our precious Jesus and remember that he loves us. Well, yeah, we should be looking to the cross kind of
0: figuratively, though. Um, But the idea is, yes, we should be looking to what Christ has accomplished to us on the cross, and that does show us that God loves us. He cares for us so much that he bled and died for our
1: sins. But this has nothing to do with transition periods, you know what I'm saying? Remember those wounds in his hands and his side. Remember that gift of the cross. Remember his undying eternal and certain love for us, and that there is nothing he would not do. There is nothing he would not give. There is nothing he has not done and has not given. Given ...for us to step into everything he has for us. Uh, for us to step into every. Yeah, see, there you go. You kind of,
0: again, you, you, this doctrine of you know, leading us through transition... ...and acceleration, all this kind of stuff. I mean, this, this is not what this text is about. And that's not what the cross is
1: about. The scriptures tell us that his perfect love casts out all fear. So whenever we catch ourselves in fear or confusion or anxiety... ...or we catch ourselves out of faith... All we need is a love encounter with Jesus. All we need a love encounter it is to say, "Lord, remind me how much you love me and all that fear goes, and all of a sudden, in that moment, we remember who our Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what we're capable in, with, and for him to do as we go out into the world. And that's exactly what happens with the disciples. After Jesus says, peace be with you, and shows them his hand and shows them his side, it says, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And he spoke to them again and said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. See, that Irene, that grace... Yeah, you got the definition of Irenae wrong. To die to ourselves. That grace to know his love and get past fear. That is the risen Lord's gift to us. That is his strategy to accelerate us through seasons of transition.
0: That's his strategy to accelerate us through seasons of transition.
2: Where are you
0: getting this? That's not what this passage is about. In fact, I can't think of a single
1: passage in the Bible that is about what you're saying to help us leapfrog fear and jump into our destiny.
0: <laughs> so there's fear, you know, just blocking your path, you know. And so because Jesus said, Arene, um, in John chapter 20, you can just see that fear standing in the path. They're just trying to block you. And so you just do a whoop, and you do a little leap, leapfrog right over there. Boom. and And then you can accelerate right into your destiny, you know. Oh, man, he's oblivious. He's utterly oblivious to what this passage is about. So I want
1: to pray for you. No,
0: no, no, you don't get to pray for me. Yeah, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm afraid of, you know, I'm not sure where you actually pray to the same God that I believe in. So, you know, know, at least not with the way you mishandle God's word. Anyway, you get the point that I'm making, and uh, yeah. So what what's the problem here? Well, the problem is is that he's um, he's oblivious to the fact the Bible's about Jesus. He's oblivious to the fact that this was written so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in His name. He's oblivious to the fact that this is not about him, and so he thinks it's about him. And so he's reading himself into these post resurrection appearances and finding somehow hidden between the lines a secret application to help. Help us through periods of transition, when this text has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with that. You, you get what I'm saying. All right, we're up on our first break you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a Terry Savelle Foy update and a Joel Oste- Osteen update. Don't want to miss them. We will be right back.
2: Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon. Beautiful imagery. The imagery, don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous... So that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, s- you see what I mean? Th- this is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room-temperature sermon. Why well, I never. Yes, you did. I-, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten, and when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. (laughs) Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff, bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Well, well, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. here. Christ centered uh, gospel. Jesus. uh, uh. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, you, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try.
0: Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's Featured advertiser, cheap O Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices so visit pirate christian radio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today and remember a portion of your purchase at cheapo air goes to support pirate christian radio Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor preaches that the Bible is about you and not about Jesus. Yeah, that is to miss the point completely. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says Join Our Crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support because we truly honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it moving along yeah that's right time for a terry savell boy update jump
2: in
4: i'm a bobby girl in the
0: party. Yeah, that's right. I'm a Barbie girl. Um <clears throat> it's just painful to even say those words. Anyway, um, have you heard of these things called soul ties? You know, basically, I think this this is a, a doctrine that has, it's man-made, clearly man-made, that has come up uh, as a result of the challenges that people face when they go through, well, relationships that, well, end up on the rocks. Okay, so here's the idea, is that, um, let's say boy meets girl. The standard thing happens, and, you know, boy likes girl, girl likes boy, and and then they start to date, and, and, you know, things kind of, you know, warm up, and things are going great, kind of, and then you know the relationship takes a, a weird turn and then you know maybe they realize they're not right for each other or you know maybe the girl says yeah i don't like certain things about this guy's character i don't think i want to marry somebody like him or whatever but then you've got this this emotional thing going on where you you, you know you know you need to break up but oh you know i can't get this guy out of my mind or the, that that how this works right so the idea though is is that well When we fall in love, and that's kind of the way we talk about it, there's brain chemistry that comes into play. There's chemicals that, you know... Uh And, you know, I hate to say it, but these chemicals are, th- th- in a sense, kind of make you addicted to the other person, for lack of a better way of putting it. And so sometimes breaking off a relationship can be just really difficult because, on the one hand, mentally, you know, I've got to cut off this relationship. I've got to bring it to an end. But on the other side, you're going, <laughs> like, I'm just so attracted to that person. <laughs> that, right? And see, that that's the problem is, is that. You know, the other end of it is that you have chemicals and hormones and things that are still in your bloodstream doing their thing. And it's really difficult to make a sane decision when you got that going on. Well, somehow in the charismatic movement, you know, this is turned into this thing where they believe that there's these soul ties. It's somehow spiritually you're now united to this person in a way that you've got the soul tie. So you got to break it. You know, you pull out your spiritual scissors, and you got to break the soul ties. So this is what Terry Savelle Foy is talking about, and I think we could just chalk this up to brain chemistry. But uh, here's Terry to explain.
4: Thank you for watching. I want to talk to you about an issue that's very delicate, very tender, something that I don't really enjoy talking about, but I know God's put it on my heart to discuss, and it could be a.
0: Big See, God put this on her heart. So because I'm challenging the teaching, I mean. I'm opposing God, you know, because God told her, you know, put this on her heart. Hey, Terry, I want you to talk about soul ties. Did God really uh, do that?
4: Big reason why you could be hanging on to a relationship that maybe God was finished with a long time ago. It could be a big reason why you seem to just uh, something from your past is still just hanging on to you. And you want to pursue God. You want to move on with your life. But you just keep being pulled by something. And the issue is soul ties. I want to talk to you about soul ties.
0: Now, um, if soul ties were really the issue, don't you think there would be a passage we can go to in the Bible that says, And thus saith the Lord, If thou havest a, a difficult time with thy, thy relationships, it is because thou havest a soul tie. And here are the three things th- that you must do are the, th- the things you must do three that, uh, you know, to break thy soul ties. You, you see, there's no passages that talk about soul ties.
4: Ah. You know, what is your soul? Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's how you think, it's what you want, and it's... Uh,
0: yeah, again, can you show me a biblical passage that, that makes this, you know, these distinctions? Your soul is this, this, and this. If you're going to teach the Bible... You're going to teach us a doctrine that Christians are supposed to believe in. It needs to be anchored in a clear passage or passages from Scripture.
4: It's how you feel. And a soul tie is an emotional bond or an emotional connection that unites you with someone else. So it's an emotional connection, an emotional bond that connects you, that unites you with someone else. Well, you know, you could be in an abusive situation and you know you deserve better, you know you should get out, but you just keep finding yourself returning to it. You try to break it off, you try to get free, but you just keep returning to that situation, to that relationship. Why? It's because of soul ties. Maybe you have tried to break free, Or, I mean, you know in your heart, God has more for you. You don't belong with this person, but you can't resist the urge to be with them. Or maybe you're away from them, but your mind is tormented with thoughts about them, with memories about them, with feelings for them. Every song you hear reminds you of them. The smell in the air reminds you of them. Whatever it is, it's soul ties. It's because your soul has been tied to another person. You know, just a few days ago, I went out for my morning walk, and as I walked outside, I saw my big, giant dog, Chester Savoy Foy, and he was tied up because we're getting this work done in the backyard. So we had to tie Chester up with a big old rope, a big old chain thing, and he's not going anywhere. That chain is so secure, and Chester wants to get free. He wants to get out. He desires to get out. He wants it more than anything. You can see it on his face. But Chester is not going anywhere. as long as he is tied to that chain, he's not going anywhere.
0: Mm, so t- the soul ties are just like the chains that you use to keep your dogs in your yard. Again, this is a human teaching. This is not a biblical teaching just because you throw the word on you know the, the word soul into soul ties doesn't mean that this is taught in the Bible.:
4: It's so secure that it, ha- it has him bound. Well. Our soul can be tied to things. You know, I can see Chester tied to that. But what is going on in your soul that's having you tied to something that you're bound to? Maybe there's a person in your life that you are so bound to, so chained to, that although you want to get free, you desire to get free, you wish you were free.
0: Isn't it that people are slaves to sin? Yeah, Scripture talks about that. I would read Romans 6.
4: You just can't break free. Something has you chained. Something has you tied up that you can't break free. That's because of your soul. That's because of wrong soul ties. You know, there's a scripture that I really want you to memorize, and it's so easy, but I'm telling you, it can bring healing and restoration to your life.
0: Okay, so we're going to finally get to a biblical text. Um this is a seven-minute video, and we're three minutes into it. Um, yeah, and this is the first time the Bible's going to make an appearance. Are we going to get a passage that says, And thus saith the Lord, this is a soul tie, and this is how you break it?
4: And it's Psalms 23.3. All it says is, He restores my soul. Now, that is a scripture that I have confessed so many times.
0: Yeah, but I don't think that's referring to soul ties.
4: Because God is clearly saying that he will restore your soul. Remember I said your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. God wants to restore your mind, your will, and your emotions. He doesn't want your emotions going one way while that tiny part in your spirit is trying to go another way. He wants to restore your emotions. He wants them to be stable. He wants you to get to a place where your emotions get in line with your spirit where you're not led by your feelings and your emotions all the time, but you choose to do what God wants you to do. Well, you know, you think about how are soul ties formed. They're formed by close relationships.
0: Mm -hmm. And, okay, sure.
4: They're formed by vows, commitments, and promises that are made with the words of our mouth.
0: Uh, Okay, so if you speak uh, a vow, then it'll create a soul tie.
4: And they're formed through sexual intimacy. Well, thinking about close relations,
0: the scriptures say that when you do that, the two become one flesh. It doesn't say one soul, though. uh.
4: Soul ties are formed any time you spend a lot of time with somebody. You're going to develop a soul tie. And soul ties aren't bad. There are good soul ties and there's bad soul ties.
0: And the Bible clearly teaches the good soul ties are what? And the bad soul ties are what? Where does
4: the scripture say this again? But anytime you spend hours and hours and hours with someone, you're going to develop a soul tie. You know, you can have a soul tie with your children, with the people you work with, with your classmates, with your family members, your close friends, your coworkers. You develop soul ties with the church you go to, the school you may go to, social groups that you're in, you develop soul ties. Anytime you spend time talking with somebody, eating with somebody, traveling with somebody, playing games with somebody, all that time you spend together, you're developing a soul tie.
0: Yeah, this sounds like a formula for like adultery. You know what I'm saying?
4: And that's not bad. You know, the Bible talks about in First Samuel 18 that Jonathan, his soul was knit together with the soul of David. They had a good soul tie because of a good friendship.
0: And there is the first place where you can kind of go to to kind of get this, okay, soul tie. Well, it does say that David's soul and Jonathan's soul were knit together. In fact, that's actually what the Hebrew says. Um, But this doesn't, that's not saying the same thing as what Terry's saying. By the way, the passage in question is uh, 1 Samuel 18, Verse 1, here's what it says in the ESV. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Mm -hmm. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So this is kind of like the first, you know, when David first actually moves into the palace uh, with Saul. But see, here's the thing, is that, this idea you know, that his soul was knit to the soul of David, it's not really teaching the same thing as a soul tie. And I, I would point you to uh, the NIV in this particular case because it picks up on the fact that this is an idiom. It has a meaning. This is So this is a way of speaking. And I'll, I'll give you a cross-reference to it in a second. But let me read to you from the NIV. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. The NIV here, oddly enough... It gives us a good dynamic equivalent of what's going on with this uh, this Hebrew idiom that talks about uh, a soul being knit to another soul. It's not teaching soul ties. It's just saying that they're one in spirit. They became really fast friends. Now, there's a cross-reference where this idiom is also used to, to knit together, and it's found in Genesis 44, verse 30. Genesis 44, verse 30. Hang on a second. Let me pull this up in my computerized Bible. I didn't cue this. Prior to the program, Genesis 44, verse 30. Um, I'll start at verse 27. Uh, this is, um, let's see, who's talking here? This is one of the sons of uh, Israel speaking to uh, Joseph, and uh, and the idea here is is that. Um, you know, they're trying to explain that they can't leave the youngest son, Benjamin, there in Egypt because it'll cause their father to die of grief. So verse 27, Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my my wife bore me two sons, one left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you'll bring my gray hairs down and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then his life is bound up in the boy's life. Bound up, there that's the, the, the idiom here, it's the same one, his soul is... Is knit, uh huh, knit with the uh, with the life of the boy. So, he- here's the idea: these are number one, descriptive texts, not prescriptive texts. Number two, um, you have to understand how the idiom is being used, um, and uh, and it's not being used in the same way that she's doing it. Nor does Scripture warn us about. Be careful not to knit your soul with you know certain people, or if your soul is bound up and knit to somebody else's soul, here's how you cut it. Yeah, this is not, you know, this is not what the Bible teaches. Although I can see now where they get the uh, the idea of a soul tie from, but it's kind of basically over exegeting, if you would. Uh, the passage from First Kings, uh, sorry, First Samuel, chapter eighteen. We continue.
4: You know, I have soul ties with my best friend Teresa because we were roommates all through college. I mean, we've done everything <laughs> together. We have a good soul tie, and soul ties aren't bad. But it's when it gets into that negative arena, when a line's been crossed, when there's a relationship in your life that does not respect and doesn't honor your relationship with God, or crosses that line to where they're wanting you to do things that aren't pleasing to God.
0: Yeah, you know, like uh, That would be a sin, the sin of adultery or fornication.
4: Then a, a wrong soul tie, a negative soul tie can be formed. And any time, you know, we engage in sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage, a wrong soul tie is formed.
0: Again, you need a text that says that.
4: And anytime there's a negative influence in your life that's trying to drag you out of God's will for your life, then that has become a negative or a wrong soul tie. Uh,
0: again, this is a man-made doctrine. This is not actually what the Bible says.
4: And it's got to be severed. It has to be broken if you want to move on with God's plan for your life.
0: So, you got to, so if you want God's plan for your life to come about, well, then you've got to go out and start you know, hacking and chopping up those, those soul ties.
1: Ay, ay, ay.
4: Now this can be one of the most painful, most severely painful things that you ever go through is when you break wrong soul ties because your soul <laughs> is trying to fight for the right to make the decisions in your life. Huh? It wants you to live by what you feel, by what you want and what you think. Your spirit is gonna be that tiny voice in you telling you to do what's right.
0: Yeah, and yet what's funny is is that when we go to First Kings chapter eighteen, where it talks about Jonathan's soul, nephesh that actually is the word spirit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just pointing this out because she's kind of, it's, she's making a distinction where there is no distinction. She's making the distinction between soul and spirit. Yet in that First uh, Kings eighteen, that's there's no distinction there. The nefesh is spirit.
4: Now I want you to make a decision that pleasing God is more important than pleasing man.
0: Well, this is true.
4: Pleasing God has to be more important to you than pleasing someone else.
0: Absolutely.
4: And that's a decision that only you can make for yourself. Now, I'm only sharing a little bit, just the first little part of a message that I just did on breaking soul ties. So I want you to get this message. If you relate to this or you know someone who's in a relationship that they don't need to be in, then get this message for them because I'm gonna talk more in detail about the sexual side of soul ties, about the promises we make with our mouth that keep us locked in situations. But I want you to decide today, That you will please God more than pleasing someone else.
0: And that apparently just, you know, snaps those uh, soul ties right in half, you know.
4: And one of the ways you can do that is simply by saying, Lord, conform my will to your will. Just start saying that daily out of your mouth. Lord, I ask you to help me. Pray it. Conform my will to your will. And I'm believing in Jesus' name that any wrong soul tie that's had you bound is going to be broken.
0: All right. So that's how you break them. You say something with your mouth and, you know, because everything's in the Word of Faith movement. It's, it's the things you say out loud that matter. ay ay. So there you go. I mean, you know, it's kind of an over overcooked exegesis of that passage, if you would. Uh, but again, the Bible actually doesn't explicitly teach that soul ties are created when you do this, that, or the other thing. And, and that's, you know, th- the theology that she's put together is, you know, only very loosely based on, on 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. But it actually kind of misses the whole point of what's going on in that passage. And, in you know, an entire theology has been created, supposedly, regarding soul ties. But again, you know, that's... Uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way she's described it, that's a mythological teaching. I mean, you definitely want to address inappropriate relationships and inappropriate uh, sinful behavior with the, within those relationships. But that comes through repentance, confessing that what you're doing is a sin and asking Christ to forgive you because of what he's done for you on the cross. Not magically breaking a soul tie by speaking a word. No, it's, the Christian life is a, is a constant life for, you know, until we die of daily repentance. So you find yourself in a situation where you're doing something you ought not to be doing with somebody you ought not to be doing it with. You know what you do? You say, Christ, I've sinned. Forgive me. Forgive me. You're right. I'm wrong and help me to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the solution to sin, not some magical words to break soul ties. Moving along. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be,
2: all by myself an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me.
3: My shiny teeth that twinkle, just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle, adding beauty to my
2: face. My shiny teeth that glisten, just like the Christmas tree. You know, they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth in me.
0: That's right. That's Chip Skylark and shiny teeth in me. That's our Joel Osteen update music. Okay, so the name of the message is All is Well. All is Well. And (laughs) this is uh, not correct. Not correct, but I'll kind of explain why it's not in a minute. Uh, Here's Joel Osteen. Discover the sinner sinner in you Yeah, discover the sinner in you That's what you should be saying But not champion
3: Well, God bless you It's always a joy to come into your home And if you're ever in the Houston area Please stop by and be a part of one of our services These are the finest people in all of Houston Right here at Lakewood Church We will make you feel right at home But thanks for tuning in Thank you again for coming out. i like to start with something funny. I heard about these three men that were traveling together, a Hindu priest, a Jewish rabbi, and a televangelist. They stopped at a farmhouse for lodging. Farmer said, I only have room for two of you in the house. Somebody will have to stay out in the barn. The Hindu priest said, I'll do it. In a few minutes, there was a knock on the door. He said, I can't stay out there. There's a cow and cows are sacred in our religion. The Jewish rabbi said, I'll do it. A few minutes, a knock on the door. He said, I can't stay out there. There was a pig, and that wouldn't be kosher. The televangelist said, okay, I'll do it. A few minutes, there was a knock on the door. It was the cow and the pig. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. No, you won't i boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Now, keep in mind, the word of faith heresy basically tells
0: you that what you say with your mouth is what attracts things to you. So are there negative circumstances in your life Hell, you've been negatively confessing? You know, you've been saying negative things, probably complaining, you know, and, and what that does is it's like it's like a dog whistle. As soon as you do that, you know, you start complaining. And next thing you know, bad things hunt you down because you're like calling them to yourself. But when you say positive things, positive results come and hunt you down. That's kind of the uh, theology ticking behind what it is that Joel Osteen is about to
3: say. I want to talk to you today about all is well. Uh-huh. It's easy to go through life worried about the future, I'm frustrated because a dream has taken so long. Yeah, I'm so frustrated. God gave me this
0: spectacular dream, man. I was supposed to have a Learjet by now, and I was supposed to be a billionaire, and I still, uh, yeah, I still have my student loans to pay, and this job I'm working, I can't even get out of like the lowest level of the cubicle in the mailroom, and. <laughs> but God told me I was
3: going to be a billionaire, and it just is taken forever. Upset because somebody did us wrong? But instead of complaining about the difficulty...
0: Yeah, don't complain, because that'll just keep keep the negative things coming.
3: Instead of being sour because your plans didn't work out, you need to remember these three simple words, all is well.
0: All is well. Just keep saying that. All is well.
3: God is still on the throne? Yeah. He's directing your steps. He wouldn't have allowed it unless he had a purpose for it. When you're tempted to get discouraged, keep reminding yourself all is well.
0: Just just keep saying all is well. Why? Because if you say if you say things aren't well, <laughs> yeah,
3: you're ringing the dinner bell for all those bad things to come happen to you, you know? I lost my biggest client. I'm not stressed over it. I know something better is coming. All is well. I was cheated in a business deal. That's all right. God is my vindicator. All is well. Prayed for my loved Serenity now. One, but they didn't make it. I'm not bitter. I know they're in heaven rejoicing where there is no pain. All is well. When you have this all is well attitude, there's a peace, a rest. It takes the pressure off. You don't live on a roller coaster. You know all is well when you're on the mountaintop. And all is well in the valley. All is well when business is great. And all is well when it's not so great. You have a made-up mind. You know God is bigger than any obstacle. As long as you stay in faith, nothing can keep you from your destiny.
0: As long as you stay in faith, nothing can keep you from your destiny? Temporal? What about as long as you stay in faith... Nothing can keep you from your eternal destiny, eternal life. Why is he always so focused on the passing temporal things
3: of this earth? Hmm. It's what three Hebrew teenagers did in the scripture, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They refused to bow down to the king's golden idol.
0: Yeah, notice he's not actually reading the text. I recently preached on this. If you want to hear my sermon on it, go to the Kongsvinger Uh, church.org and uh, you can listen to this Uh, saved from the fiery furnace I think was the name of the sermon they were about to be thrown into a
3: fiery furnace they could have complained God is not fair we're doing your will and look what happens no they said to the king we're not going to bow we know our God will deliver us but even if he doesn't we're still not going to bow they were saying all is well if it goes our way And all is well if it doesn't go our way.
0: Yeah, that's not exactly it either. And see, there's a problem here. This overly super positive affirmation theology. Yeah, if you want to learn how to pray, take a look at how the Psalms read. The Psalms give us an example of prayer. In fact, you can can actually pray many of the Psalms. And listen to this Psalm, Psalm chapter 79. Here's what the psalmist writes. He says, Oh God, The nations have come into your inheritance and have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They've given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They've poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. This doesn't sound like the all is well attitude, does it? No. It isn't. Here's the prayer. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste to his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Notice he's pleading for forgiveness and mercy. Let your compassion come speedily to to meet us. For we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. For your name's sake, why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve those who are doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. You see, scripture teaches us not to just gloss over the problems that are happening in our lives and just say, Oh, all is well, all is well. You just lost your job, huh? All is well. Yeah, you know, Your wife just left you for another man? Oh, all is well. You've just got a diagnosis that you have cancer. You only got a month to live. Huh, all is well. No. No. Pray to God. Tell Him how miserable things are. Ask Him for mercy, for forgiveness, and for strength. It's okay for you to confess and say the truth about what's going on in your life. That's not somehow going to take you You know, that doesn't put you on the roller coaster. It keeps your eyes focused on your merciful Savior, who in the midst of all of this is the one bringing you through it. You know, and things are not always well here. Christianity does not call you to deny reality, and it's okay for you to say to God, God, all is not well. Have mercy on your servant, and please straighten things out. That is a Christian prayer. How do I know it? Because that's how the psalmist teaches us to pray. Joel Osteen in this all is well theology, it's the serenity now, George Costanza's father, you know, theology. And how did that work out for him? Serenity now, and sanity later. It's not what the, Christ- the Christian faith teaches and it's not what scripture says. You do not have to be in tyranny to the positive and speaking the truth about the situation that you're in does not bring more problems into your life. Speaking the truth to God about what's happening is what God wants you to do. It's what he's modeled for us in the Psalms and in those prayers. You get what I'm saying. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review you probably don't want to miss. It's from Patricia King's church. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. You're going to need a Bible. Huh? I'm going to have to show you how to uh, do some biblical investigative work in order to debunk bad teaching. This is a little bit more challenging than the standard sermon that we normally uh, review here at Fighting for the Faith. But uh, we got to do this right. Here we go. Hey, go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church for the Nations, Phoenix, Arizona. It's Dr. Ray Kirkland presiding. The name of the sermon is The Anointing Makes the Normal Phenomenal. And by the way, this is, one of, this is the church where uh, Patricia King not only attends church, she's also on staff as one of the pastors there. No joke. And uh, what you're going to hear in this sermon, it is deceptive. It's a bold-faced lie. And the guy who's making these claims, Ray Kirkland... Wow. <laughs> I mean, this is slick, but it's very dangerous and very deadly. So let me go ahead and ease back on the music, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Without any further ado, here is Ray Kirkland in his sermon entitled, The Anointing Makes the Normal Phenomenal. And I'm going to play the, th- the whole thing, including this part where he's talking about what's going on with Dr. Michael Maiden and kind of giving you a- an update so that you can get a feel for the whole sermon. Here we go.
5: God bless, you. God bless you. Amen. Well, we are blessed to be here tonight with you. And as he said, I'm usually all over the world. So I was supposed to be in Japan, but instead we ended up on the Navajo Reservation, and that let us be here tonight. You know, Pastor Mike, he's over in Hawaii. I don't know if you've been watching him on Facebook, but they're having a great meeting in Hawaii. At a great church, and one of the reasons he chose to go there is because it's a church-planting church. And we want to connect with churches that plant churches. We believe in taking the world. We believe in global evangelism. Can you say amen? By releasing him, do you realize that you share the blessing of this house with another house? We have a tremendously gifted pastor. How many of you know that? He has an exceptional gift. Exceptional gift. And, And he's not only a gift for us, but he's a gift to the body of Christ. And so as we share him to others, it enlarges us as a, as a people. It also enlarges him. When you have a gift like he has, there's something that's needed inside of you. And that's to be able to get out and and feel the presence of the Lord moving in other places. And and it's important for him. It enlarges him. It blesses him, helps him to focus. And so I want to thank you for releasing him from time to time to go and do the ministry that God laid on his heart. Amen. 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 I've, you know, I've heard a lot of preaching in my life. How about you? And I've heard anointed preaching. How many of you know there's a difference? I've heard anointed preaching. I've heard anointed music. And we're blessed in this house because we have both. Amen. Somebody ought to shout amen right there. Now, the rule to a Ray Kirkland message and stuff when we get to that is the more you say amen, the sooner you get out. So if you'll just remember that. Now, Dr. Maiden did ask that I would share a few things with you tonight before we get into the word. And we have just come back from a, a tremendous time at what we call Ranch Camp out on the Navajo Reservation. I, as I said, was scheduled to be in Japan, but uh, was invited to be a part of this. And something in my spirit triggered, and I knew it was a God moment. So we're going to share just a little bit of, a, of uh, some PowerPoint clips. I can't begin to share everything that's happened there. Uh, but we want to show, show some clips. I'm not sure if they're ready to go. Here we go. This is the tent getting ready to go up. Okay, as you can see that tent, it's starting to go up. It's a, it's a huge tent. They told us we could do it with five to seven men. We'd had to be Hercules and Samson to do that. And if it hadn't been for the wind, I don't know if we would have actually got it to rise up or not. And so we began to build this tent. It would seat over 2,000 people or right around 2,000 people. And in the services, we would see nearly that inside the tent and probably outside. As I wandered around outside, there's probably that many more that never even came into the tent. And so it's just, it was an amazing time as everybody began to work together. We had some team members here from CFTN that went out with us. They did a great job representing and serving the people, loving the people. You can see the camp there. We have a tent for the youth, a tent for the the children, and then the large tent. At nighttime, it was cool just to see the glow. These are the horsemen. There was around 400, 500 horsemen that came in from all over the reservation. They'd been riding across the reservation, decreeing the word of God and asking God to move in their land. Amen. It was awesome. So here they come riding in. It really was a tremendous moment. You could feel the presence of the Lord sweep into the camp as they came, uh, carrying the flag, carrying the Christian flag, uh, sounding the trumpet. It was, it was just awesome. And so each morning we had we had great prayer. There was a prayer, time of prayer, and the people were seeking God. And then they had the Navajo Choir. That's an experience if you've never heard one of those. It was a lot of fun. It really was. And then you can just see the crowds, intense crowds. Hopefully you're able to see that. And the Lord moving in the altars and touching people's lives. The youth ministry was just wonderful. They've never had one before. Each year those children would go out and run in the hills and smoke peyote and drink. But this year we provided for them and they were coming in. Great preachers. That little guy there, is, they call him the Mr. Preacher Man. That's going to be the third generation preacher in that family. <laughs> and so you can see that, that uh, there was a lot just going on. It just was a great, great time um, of, of the Lord touching. That was really powerful. The, the wind co talkers, those are the last two wind talkers surviving from World War II. If it wouldn't have been for those two guys, we might not have won that war. But it was awesome. That they were with us and they were there and just serving the Lord. It was a, a real blessing to be with them, and I, hopefully you're able to to notice those those the tent. It's hard to see those pictures; they're dark, but there are thousands of people in that tent, and God was moving and touching lives. The presence of the Lord was so real and so notice all the emphasis on the presence of the Lord and experience and the
0: subjective. Yeah, that is is to be expected with the church that would. Patricia King would go to, you should already begin to be detecting a false emphasis, a bad emphasis.
5: So powerful. We believe that God's getting ready to do something mighty across the Navajo reservation. Amen. Somebody
0: say amen. Because you've decreed and declared it? No, I don't think so.
5: Ma'am, I actually believe we can see a nation saved within a nation. It's a moment of God right now. You can feel it. They're open. They're responsive. The women's ministry was just amazing there as the women were responding to what God was doing. The men's ministry, these young men rose up and accepted. I preached a message called I Am A Man and challenged them to the core, and they responded to it. It was just a a wonderful time. And so I want to encourage you next year to be sure that you mark on your calendar to go and be a part with us. There's uh, uh, some of the people here. Elise? Elise? Elise got to preach her first sermon while she's out there. Amen. Elise got to preach her first sermon. Scripture does not permit this. And so we're using you, and it was awesome to be a part. And there's my old buddy Jim Cody welcoming you to come out next year to the ranch camp. So amen. Uh, I apologize. The pictures are a little dark. But honestly, it was a great time with thousands and thousands of people touched and God doing something great. Can somebody say hallelujah? Okay, here we go. Let's minister the word tonight. I want to read to you out of First Samuel 16. First Samuel 16, and it's rather a lengthy passage, but I need to read it all because there's things I want to glean from it with you tonight. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, For I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, do you come peaceably? You have to remember in those days, the prophets would call she-bears out and fire down.
0: Yeah, um, you are getting way ahead in the story. Samuel was not known for calling out she-bears and things like that. You are uh, fast-forwarding far into the history of Israel to the time of Elijah and Elisha. Those That was the other time when there were major miracles associated with the prophets.
5: So they were wondering if he came peaceably. And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, Sanctify yourselves, come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, that's the oldest of Jesse's sons, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, that's the second one, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shama pass by. I want everybody to say Shammah. Just remember that. That's going to be on your test in a little while. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven. Everybody say seven. That's also going to be on your test. I tell you the answers before the test. Of his sons passed before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. There he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for I will not sit down till he comes here. Remember that. That's not on your test, but you ought to remember it. I will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, means red headed. Kind of reddish colored, with bright eyes, blue, and good looking. That means he looks like me.
0: And the Lord's yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. The scriptures do not say that David had blue eyes. You stuck that into the text. That's not what uh, what First uh, Samuel sixteen says. <clears throat> yeah, let's see here. Sending him, got him, and he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. It says beautiful doesn't say blue okay and was handsome and the lord said arise anoint him for this is he yeah it doesn't say anything about his eye color it just said that his eyes were beautiful yeah and so but it does ruddy does mean red by the way that uh, you know so david's you know a redhead yeah that's probably true
5: said arise anoint him for this is the one samuel took the horn of oil anointed him in the midst of the brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. One more text, Isaiah 10, 27. It shall come to pass in that day that the burden will be taken away from your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of what? The anointing. The anointing changes everything, doesn't it? The anointing will cause
0: the natural... Whoa, whoa, whoa. The anointing changes everything? How many people were anointed in Israel at the time of David? David was the second anointed king of Israel. Anointing, you know that that was not a common thing. The, so, wh- what are you doing with this anointing theology? If, if somehow this is, this is some, David's experience is somehow normative for us, we're supposed to be anointed the way David was anointed. No, we're not. Okay. Um, yeah, you're kind of uh, doing something funky here, and your presuppositions are totally false.
5: ...to become supernatural, and the nominal to become phenomenal. Amen. Now, in our text, the Bible says that Jesse brought six sons towards and out before Samuel, and he even brought this guy named Shammah. And I'm going to show you in a moment that Shama is not even a son. Uh, this
0: is a flat out lie. This guy has not done his homework. He doesn't know what he's talking about.
5: Shama is some kid. I don't know who he is. Maybe a neighborhood kid. Maybe some kid that just happened to wander by. But he shoves a Shama out there in front of Samuel and tries to pass him off as a son. I'll show you in a moment. He's not a son.
0: Yeah. Um, again, this is straight up false. Inaccurate. Wrong.
5: Now, the meantime, he leaves his real son, David, out in the field, in the, out in the wilderness, attending to the sheep. Why would he want to anoint a young man that's not even his own son and allow his son to stay in the wilderness? I want to read to you something else. I want you to see this. 1 Chronicles 2, verse 13 through 15. We're going to look at the sons of Jesse. Jesse begot Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second. Shimea the third, Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozum the sixth, and David the seventh. You don't see Shama in that crowd.
0: Mm, well, actually, you do. And if you know Hebrew, uh, this becomes very apparent. But let's take a look at what's going on here. We're going to start with 1 Samuel 16. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to pay attention to the order very carefully here. 1 Samuel 16 and we're going to start with um, verse 6 when they came he looked at eliab this would be the firstborn son of jesse and thought surely the lord's anointed is before him but the lord said to samuel do not look on his appearance or on his on, on the height of his stature because i have rejected him for the lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart that's going to be that's going to come into play here Okay, very shortly here. Keep in mind, the Lord looks on the what? The heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shama pass by and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. So what's the order? Eliab, Abinadab, Shama. That's your order firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn. Now let's do our cross-reference work with the uh, First Chronicles chapter 2. First Chronicles chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 13. Jesse fathered Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadab the second, Shimia the third. Uh-huh. Neth- uh, Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozam and uh, the sixth David the seventh. Okay? So, where does Shimia fall? third so in the uh, f- the first Samuel text Shama is third in the uh, first chronicles text Shimia is third well if you have something you know like a good Bible dictionary you could do a little bit of work here and try to figure out what's going on well what is going on if you don't read Hebrew yeah you you might be a little bit confused so I'm reading from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume two. Okay? The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume Two, by Walter A. Elwell. This is a fantastic, good Bible encyclopedia. If you want to study scripture, sometimes you need to be, have good tools. Um, you know, and Baker has put this out, and it's a good tool. And let me read to you when we look up Shimia in the Baker Bible Encyclopedia. Shimia. An alternate name for Shama, Jesse's third son in First Chronicles 2, 13 and 20, verse 7. David's son born to him by Bathsheba during his reign in Jerusalem. That's another guy. So um, you, you get what's going on here? It's real simple, okay? It, it, my name is Chris, okay? But if you look at my birth certificate, it says Christopher, okay? Well, which is it? The answer is both. <laughs> yeah, it's yes, both. Okay, Shimia Shama. It's like Chris and Christopher. That's how this works in Hebrew. And oftentimes, you know, you'll get somebody's formal name and then the name they go by, uh, you know, from day to day. So just because people call me Chris doesn't mean my name isn't Christopher, or that Christopher is actually somebody other than me. You get what I'm saying? And that's what's going on here. And the order is the same. Eliab, Abinadab, Shama, or Shimea. It's, it's the same order. Shimea, Shama, same person. One's more formal. One's a little bit, you know, kind of day to day. That's how this works. It's just that simple. And so everything that Ray Kirkland says from this point forward is based upon false information, and he has not done his Bible study. He hasn't checked with the commentaries. He hasn't checked with the biblical tools out there to try to explain this, and I don't think he really even knows Hebrew. hmm So let's continue because it's going to get outrageous from about this point forward. So with this false information, he's now going, he's going to hunt throughout the Bible to see if he can fill in some of the gaps. What's going on here? Why would Jesse put forward some kid named Shama who isn't even his son? There's got to be some explanation and he's going to find one and you might want to hang on to your hats because it's a doozer.
5: Okay, but earlier we saw that he pushed Shama out there to try to get an anointing on him. There's something here. Now, the next scripture says in First Chronicles 2, verse 16, Now, their sisters were Zariah and Abigail. David's sisters were Zariah and Abigail. Everybody say Zariah and Abigail.
0: Yes, both of which are common names for women at this time. Common.
5: That's going to be on your test. That's going to be on your test. Now, I want to go kind of like Brittany and Heather. You know, these are common names. To the next slide, and look at this, I want to go through these. We know that in the Old Testament, whenever a name is brought out, that that name represents uh has a meaning to it. Now,
0: what he's going to do here is ignoring what the text in First Samuel says. Let me read it again, okay. This is what the Lord says, okay? Do not look on his appearance, First Samuel 16, verse 7, or on, his, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For Yahweh sees, not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh, the Lord, looks on the heart. Why is the reason why the Lord has rejected Eliab? Well, he's looked into his heart. How about Abinadab? He's looked into his heart. How about Shammah? He's looked into his heart. That's why God has rejected him. But what Ray Kirkland is going to do here is basically kind of like a, uh, well, a Hebrew uh, dictionary fast one, if you would, to kind of miss the whole point because, oh, he's 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 discovered something that ain't nobody else discovered before. And so he's going to find the real reason why God has rejected Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah. The real reason is because of their names. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's going to say. Hang on.
5: There's a meaning to these names. So I took a few moments and I'm going to take it with you tonight to quickly go through the names of these sons and see what it was that the prophet rejected, that the spirit of the Lord rejected. He rejected Eliab, the firstborn. Eliab means my God is my father. In other words, this is a profession of religion. It's where somebody says, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm religious. You no, know, the
0: reason why God rejected Eliab is because he could see into his heart. It had nothing to do with how he was named. And Eliab does not represent some spirit of religion. You're totally making that up. Yeah, for Eliab to say, God is my father, that's a confession of faith. Okay, When we pray, our father who art in heaven... Uh-huh. That is completely consistent with the name Eliab.
5: And and, and, and and I'm something special, but I want to say to you tonight that God does not place his anointing on you just because you are a Christian.
0: Well, wait a second. Um, two things wrong with this. Where in the Bible should I expect God to somehow place an anointing on me? And two, um, why wouldn't he do it just because I'm a Christian? Where does the Bible teach this theology at all? You know what I'm saying? All of the details kind of matter here.
5: No, hear what I'm saying. You you can be real religious. You can play religious. You can have a big Bible and a big cross, but that doesn't mean you're anointed. I've been to a lot of places where they look good, but they don't carry the goods. (laughs) Amen. Abinadab means my father is noble. My father is noble. In other words, you're not going to get in on who your daddy is. Just because your daddy is somebody special, just because your daddy's noble, it doesn't have anything. I don't.
0: Yeah, Abinadab's name had nothing to do with why God rejected him. The text says that God rejected him because He can see into His heart.
5: I don't care how rich your heritage is; it does not mean anything. God does not have grandchildren. Amen. We each and every one have to be a son connected to God. Each and every one of us have to relate to God, and so you can't ride in on your daddy's anointing. You, okay, you can't write in on your mama's an- Where does it say that Jesse had an anointing?
0: It doesn't say that at all. Hmm. Yeah, the only two men who were, quote-unquote, anointed at this time, Saul and David. Everyone else? Yeah, no. Why should we expect some kind of universal anointing that God's going to give us along the lines of, you know, David? You know, David was anointed, therefore God wants to anoint you too. Which text says that?
5: Anointing either. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. You're not going to get in on your family heritage just because your grandma and your granddad and you're five generations deep and whatever does not mean that you're carrying an anointing. Shimia means astonishment. Just because something's astonishing does not mean that it's anointed. I've been just was on the reservation and I've seen medicine men do some things that would blow your mind. Yeah, this is,
0: again, total nonsense these insights that he's giving don't give us any real insight as to what's going on in the text because God himself made it clear why did he reject those guys because he could see into their heart
5: I can show you pictures in my iPad of a witch that my wife took a picture of her in Venice floating about six three four foot off the ground just levitating just sitting there levit- that's astonishing but it doesn't mean it's anointed Witches can do all kinds of things. Mediums can do all kinds of things. But just because it's astonishing doesn't mean it's anointed. Nathaniel means given of God. And just because you're gifted, just because you're talented, just because you can do something wonderfully, it doesn't mean you're anointed. Amen. Michael Jordan was not anointed.
0: Again, your theology and presuppositions regarding some kind of, you know, God wanting to anoint a whole bunch of people, false.
5: Now, see, some of you said, well, yes, he was. No, he wasn't. He was gifted. Amen. Wow. Elvis, I'm going to go deep here. Elvis was not anointed either. Tough crowd. (laughs) Radai means to rule or have dominion. Just because you're in charge, just because somebody puts a sticker on you, says El Pastor, doesn't mean you're anointed. Just because you have a title does not mean that you have an anointing. Osium meant to be strong. There's a lot of people that are strong financially or strong politically or strong uh, in in all kind of different ways. But just because you have a a strength does not mean that you have an anointing. Amen. David means my beloved. But Jesse was not even going to present him before Samuel. So why was it then? Why was it that? Yeah,
0: why was it? Because scripture doesn't even say any of the stuff you're about to say. You're just making it up because you didn't pay attention to the fact that Shama and Shimea, basically, it's the same name. One's more formal, the other's kind of day to day. Yeah, kind of like Chris and Christopher, you know?
5: Jesse would bring out six sons and try to fake another. He brought out the Christian, the noble. Again, total nonsense. The astonishing, the gifted, the ruler, and the strong. But God said, None of these do I choose to place my anointing on. All of that is flesh. And man-made.
0: I'm not placing. Yeah, God didn't say that. You're putting words in God's mouth, which is blasphemy.
5: My anointing on that, and then He's even brought out the neighborhood kid and tried to run him by what? No, He didn't bring out the neighborhood kid. You are
0: absolutely wrong on this.
5: Would have happened if the neighborhood kid would have got selected. Why would you, as a father? Take some kid and put him out there and leave your own son out there in the field. Why is Jesse so ashamed of his son David? What is it that concerns him so much about David? Now I want you to remember who David's sisters were. That's on your test. Who was it? Zariah, Zariah and Abigail. Abigail, yeah. Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel 17 25. You got an A on that. You did good. And look at this scripture. It says, This Amasa was a son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, the sister of Zeriah, Joab's mother. Ah, you missed it. Abigail was who? David's sister.
0: No, actually, this Abigail is not David's sister. If this were David's sister, it would say David's sister. But because it goes through such great lengths to explain which Abigail this is, we can say with certainty that it isn't um, (laughs) the Abigail who is um, David's sister. You get what I'm saying? And by the way, Abigail and Zariah, pretty common names for women back then. Pretty common. So, I mean, it's not uncommon for households, even in America, to have girls that have the same name. How can that be? Well, there's popular names at different times. Just look them up on the Internet. She was the daughter of who? Mahash. Yeah, that's right. David's David's sister, Abigail, and David's sister, Zariah, who was their father? Answer, Jesse.
5: That's who their father was. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. David is Jesse's boy, Zariah and Abigail are David's sisters, but Zariah and Abigail are not Jesse's daughters.
0: Wrong. You are totally abusing texts here.
5: That means we have the same mama, or they couldn't be brothers and sisters. That means they have different daddies. Okay, we're going somewhere. You're going to catch on in a moment. So I looked up old Nahash. Nahash is the daddy. Nahash means shining serpent or snake. (laughs) So the reason that that Jesse did not want David to be selected was because he didn't want Nahash to be reminded he had been sleeping with his wife.
0: (laughs) It's ugly, but it's true. No, it's not. It's ugly, and it's a flat-out lie. By the way, the text regarding Nahash and uh, Abigail and Zariah is in second Samuel. Second Samuel. Uh-huh. We're far down the timeline at this point. Far down. Yeah, and, and the text itself makes it very clear we're talking about Abigail and Zariah, the daughters of Nahash, not the daughters of Jesse. If they were the daughters of Jesse, it would have said so. What this guy is doing at this point is literally you know kind of Millennia now, of, you know, after the fact, slaughtering the character of Jesse. I mean, this is nothing. Mo- this is nothing less than flat-out slander against David's father, Jesse. At this point,
5: Jesse had been fooling around with Missus Snake, and Jesse didn't want no bad voodoo coming back on him,
0: and no texts. Say this,
5: because one of these days is going to find out that David was not the daughter of Jesse's real wife, but the, the, the son, excuse me, of Jesse's real wife, but the son of another man's wife.
0: So you're claiming that Jesse's mother was actually married to Nahash. Which text says it? There's no text that say this. You are totally making this up.
5: He didn't want to be reminded, listen to me now, he is a Jewish man. He has dark hair, dark ha- How many of you know Jews have dark hair and dark eyes? But
0: they don't all have dark hair and dark eyes. I know many people who are Jewish. Some of the people I know who are Jewish, are they actually have fair skin and blue eyes. Yeah, and I know some, I actually know one gentleman who's Jewish who has red hair. So what you're saying is patently False to somehow make some blanket statement saying all Jews are you have brown eyes, brown hair, and brown skin. That's not actually true at all. David
5: had red hair and blue eyes,
0: and he- yet yeah, it doesn't say blue eyes, it says his eyes were beautiful or bright, but it doesn't say they were blue. He looked just like another man's wife. <laughs>
5: That's why David later wrote, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Yeah, no,
0: that's not why David wrote that. He wrote that because every human being is born dead and trespasses and sins. What you're doing here is literally blasphemously slandering Jesse, the father of David.
5: See, it's not a sin if you're married.
0: Yeah, by the way, this makes David completely illegitimate.
5: Mm -hmm. I'm talking to you about something. There's some stuff going on in the background right here that is causing an anointing and a destiny to be challenged. There's something that's happened here that's causing a, 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 a a dynamic to happen, and Jesse is willing to forfeit the anointing on his family to change the destiny of a nation because of his past sins.
0: All of which you fabricated whole cloth and twisted God's
5: word in order to talk about them. He doesn't want anybody to know about what he's been fooling around with. And I have to say to you tonight that I believe there's people in this church that don't believe that you can be anointed because of some past sin.
0: Um, Which passage says that we as Christians are supposed to receive an anointing?
5: You don't want anybody to find out about. Did I get too close? Something that happened in your past that if you got up in a pulpit and they started to actually find out about your life and go back into your life, they would find out some ugly, snakish things back there. They would find out some voodoo that you don't want anybody to know about. And, and, and they, you don't want anybody to know about all that stuff that's in your past. Hey, can I tell you something? Never throw rocks when you live in a glass house. Okay. And so here he is, and I want to say to you, even though all of that ugly stuff's there, God says, go out there and get him because that's the one I want.
0: God says, go out and get him as if he's talking about you. Where in the scriptures are we supposed to, from, you know, by learning about David's anointing, believe that God's going to somehow come out and find us and call us to give us some special destiny of uh, anointing that's going to change the course of a nation? This, the Bible's not about us. The Bible's about Christ. And David in the Old Testament is one of the major pillars typologically of Jesus. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And David's going to sit on the throne of David forever.
5: Man, this is a mess. I want you to hear what God, I want you to see how God's seeing this. God says, I'm not worried about the snakish past. I'm not worried about all that ugly stuff. You go out there and you get him because that's the one that I want. I'll put an anointing on him that'll break every yoke, that'll change everything in life. And then watch what he says. Samuel, being a type of the Holy Spirit, says these words, for we will not sit down till he comes here.
0: Samuel's a type of... The- yeah, we will not sit down until he comes. In other words, until you come to receive your anointing. Blasphemous.
5: The Holy Spirit, he says, we cannot rest until the anointed get in their place. Hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. We're not going to sit down. We're not going to rest until you get in the position you belong. I don't care
0: how far out the way... Yeah, the Holy Spirit's not saying anything like this to you. The story of David's anointing is not about you being anointed
5: wilderness you are. I don't care how you smell. I don't care what sheep you've been hanging around with till you get in your place. We're not resting. Somebody say, amen. As soon as David got anointed, then what happened to him? Did he go straight to the throne? No, he didn't go to become a king and politician. The Bible says as soon as he was anointed, they sent him right back to where the sheep, the sheep, because God loves his sheep. Amen. And God will send and mantle that anointing. He, God wanted to mantle his sheep with that anointing. So he placed an anointing on David, sent him back to mantle and protect the sheep. Now the sheepfold is our training ground. I'm speaking apostolically to you tonight. I'm pastor is prophetic, I'm kind of No, you're speaking
0: demonically by preaching ourselves in a text that is not about us.
5: An apostolic, so just follow along, okay? And so, so, so David is going to go back to the sheep, and at the sheep, he's going to learn how to kill lions and bears before he ever fights a giant. So you got to learn how to fight lions and bears too, right? Let me read it to you. First Samuel seventeen. David said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came out, took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it." And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. The trick or the purpose, if I should say, of being in leadership is for the, the protecting and the nurturing of sheep. No matter what ministry you're involved in, whether it's worship or children or outreach. the number- Yeah, in your case, you want sheep protected
0: so that you can devour them. Because that's what you're doing. You're devouring sheep with your lies.
5: Number one priority is the sheep. God cares about the sheep, and so He says that there's lions that attack sheep, devouring lions. Let's look at that spiritually just for a moment, okay? What is it that you see that would come into a flock like this and the 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 sheep here? What would what would He want to eat and devour? How about our joy? What? How about our hope? How about our faith?
0: The the devil desires to devour you,
5: not your hope, not your faith. You. Okay, so when you're anointed, God will anoint you and send you back into this house. <sighs> See, when you're anointed,
0: like David, you go, know, because when he was anointed, he was sent back out to the sheep. So when you're anointed, you're gonna be sent back among the sheep, just like you know, David, because yeah, again. This is not some kind of prescriptive text that shows us some pattern for our life. The scriptures are about Jesus, and they're written so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. That's what a a Christos is, an anointed one. That's what the Messiah is, Mashiach. It means anointed one, so that we might believe that Jesus is the anointed one, and by believing might have life in his name. That's what scripture is about.
5: What are you looking for? You're looking for the lion that's attacking the brother or the sister sitting next to you. You're
0: here to watch. Yeah, that would be uh, you. You're, you're, ta- you're playing the role of the lion slash wolf in this story.
5: And see, and then you're supposed to attack that lion. Now, that doesn't mean you walk up to somebody and say, I sense that you got a demon lion on you. I sense a foul spirit devouring your joy. <laughs> no, that's not what you're called to do. You're called to pray. You know, one of the best things you could do if somebody's joy is being lost, take them out to dinner and you buy. Amen. Don't take them out to dinner and you ask them to buy. That's that, that adds to the problem. (laughs) Amen. Now let me warn you about lions. Lions are never afraid that lions don't understand fear. And when you hit a lion and he's hurt, he actually becomes more fierce. He doesn't back down. He doesn't know how to back down. But that lion's there, and the Bible says there's an anointing on you to go back into the sheepfold, look around. What do you mean a lion
0: doesn't know how to back down? I've seen lions back down when a lion tamer holding a chair and cracking a whip. Yeah, I've seen them back down to that. And how did that happen if they don't know how to back down? And
5: find people that you know, whether it's in the, the rewind class or some class you're in, you begin to build relationships, and you see that people's faith, their lives, their marriages, their children, they're hurting. Your job is to attack that that lion and draw him off so that he rises against you. I'm going to go there in just a minute.
2: What are you talking
0: about? were you smoking the peyote on that uh, navajo indian reservation i'm i'm just wondering at this point
5: the next thing he has to kill is bears now what are bears bears are hibernating they hibernate so it's it's, it's some people have cycles of trouble let me give you an example some people do really really well <laughs> yeah. see bears they hibernate so there's cycles of trouble like bears come in cycles you know huh? They don't drink for three months, and then they go on a binge. They fall apart, and then they get back up. They fall apart, and they get back up. That's a bear. Our job is to find those bears and to realize that when we strike that bear, the Bible says it will rise against us. But you and I are anointed to kill it. Somebody say amen. Your- really, where in the scriptures am
0: I led to believe I'm anointed to kill bears? Hmm?
5: Your job is to draw that bear away and begin to fight that bear in prayer. You fight that bear in spirit. You fight that bear in, and you, you, you begin to tend to the sheep because you have to become a lion and a bear killer before you're going to kill a giant.
0: <laughs> this is just gone to absurdity at this point. Why? Because he's utterly clueless that the
5: Bible's about Jesus. It's not about you. So, so as you're in a church like this, you may not be in the pulpit. You may not be the guy speaking, but you have a responsibility to look around and see when people are hurting, when they're cycling in life. And when you see it starting to happen, there was this one young girl, I was pastoring her years ago and she was, she, you could always see the cycle begin to happen because suddenly she would start wearing more and more makeup. Suddenly her dresses would get shorter and shorter. Suddenly she would go through this transformation and all of a sudden she was now, she was hunting, she was a lioness and she was out hunting for men. And so she would go through this process where she couldn't get free. So whenever I spotted that on her, I began to draw close and begin to help her fight that lion, fight that bear. Amen. I began to work with her and develop her and strengthen her. And eventually, she became a great woman and ended up being a pastor's wife. Amen. And
0: did, did, you, did, did you have any unhealthy soul ties with her? I mean, you know, Terry Savelle Foy might have something to say to you about that.
5: Did a great job for God. But you have to learn how to reach in there and fight. And then one of these days, we're going to have to fight giants. Amen. How many of you
0: know No, you don't. No one's calling us. The Bible's not calling you to fight bears, lions, or giants. Nope. Christ has done all of that for you. Well,
5: this country has a lot of giants. We got a lot of things we need to be fighting, but I won't spend the time to list all of those tonight. I just want to say to you, the anointing breaks off the yoke. Amen.
0: Mm, Yeah, that anointing breaks out. Where again uh, does the Bible talk about
5: that? Mm. We're anointed tonight to break the yoke. There's a supernatural power that comes on us. And sometimes the devil will try to tell you you can't have it because of some past failure. The devil will come and try to lie to you and say, look who you are, look what you are, and try to put you down and get you to focus on self rather than on him. Amen. And so sometimes you get all caught up and you begin to miss what God has for you. But I want to tell you, there's an anointing that will set you free and set others free tonight. Amen. God, let God, I just feel like I need to shift gears for just a moment. There's somebody in the house the Lord speaking to tonight. Listen, Elijah was anointed to be God's prophet. Elijah. So he's getting direct revelation
0: from God now.
5: And Elijah had been through a series of battles and, and encounters with Jezebel and he was exhausted. So the Bible teaches us that he went up to a broom bush tree uh, and he got under this tree and God put him to sleep. And then God woke him up and had an angel feed him some pancakes. That's awesome, man. That right there is awesome. Amen. Then God put him back to sleep. Then God woke him up again, fed him some more pancakes. And the second round of pancakes would last him for 40 days. How many of you know he had a bloated belly? That's a lot of pancakes if they last for 40 days, but he, there he was. And so when he got all done with this, God says, now I want you to go down and anoint a new King Haziel, and I want you to go down and I want you to anoint a, Elisha to be a prophet in your place. Now, Elisha is just a guy out plowing a field. You have to remember in those days, the prophet, the anointed only came on one person at a time. Okay. So Elijah had it. Nobody else had it in here. We all get to have some, amen. But in those days, it was different. So Elisha, he's out there. He's plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. How many of you know that's a bummer job? Every day, you're looking at the rear end of an ox.
0: Yeah, you got this from Stephen Furtick, didn't you? From his book, Greater. Uh Uh-huh. That's where you're getting this from. (laughs)
5: <laughs> that gets old, you're stepping over dirt clods, you're moving along and all that, and so here he is, he's out there in the dust, howling behind his ox he's working, and suddenly the Elijah walks up, throws his mantle over him, he feels the power of God rip down through him and back out, and woo, he says my, I love it man, let me go home and kiss my mama goodbye, I'm going to come and follow you, the prophet looks at him and says, if you got to go home and kiss your mama he's dealing with family domination here you got to go home and do that, then, then uh, you just go ahead and stay home with mama. Instead, what does he do? How many of you remember the story? He barbecued 12 oxen.
0: <laughs> Where in the text of the story of Elisha does it say if you have to go see your mama, then you just stay with her? The, the, the text doesn't say that.
5: We just had about fifteen cows out there and fed thousands of people. Twelve oxen will feed a whole lot of folks. Amen. He barbecued all twelve oxen, and he came and he began to follow Elijah. He, the reason he did that, he burned every bridge. He wasn't going back for nothing. And so he was.
0: Yeah. Again, you got this narcissistic reading of that story from Stephen Furtick.
5: Was making sure he's going to follow, and so later on in the story, he's been a disciple of Elijah. And Elijah is there, and Elijah asks him, "What can I do for you?" We know the story. Elisha says, well, I want a double portion of what you have. That anointing that's on you, on a double portion of that. So he says, well, if you're with me when, when I go, you can have it. We know the story that he goes to Gilgal. He goes to Bethel. And at Bethel, all the pastors, everybody says, man, this is a gorgeous place. You got a great place here. Why go any further? Just stay right here. It's a beautiful place. You've got everything you need to have a great church. Just stay here. And he says, ain't no way. Ain't no way. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Elijah. Wherever he goes, I'm going to be there. So we know the story that he goes on to Jericho. He goes on to Jordan, the same thing. He says, I'm after that double portion. And suddenly he gets past and here comes the chariot of fire. Do you guys remember the story? Wave your hand at me if you remember the story. Charity of fire swoops down, and all of a sudden, uh, he gets taken up into the sky. He throws his mantle off. Elisha takes off his old clothes because you can't put the new on the old. Amen. Puts on the new garment, steps into a new anointing, and he's ready to go with a double portion ministry of Elijah. Off he goes, man. He's going for it. You read the story of Elisha. Powerful things. Elijah did 16 miracles, and Elisha performed 31. Do your Do your math. That's one short. The devil says you did real good, but no cigar, buddy. You fell short. You didn't make it. So they took old Elisha. They take him over and they put him in a sepulcher in a cave. They put him down there, and he's in there for a long time. His bones are there, and there he lies. Now, in the meantime, years go by, and the Moabites are out raiding the land. They're pillaging the land. They're raping the women and enslaving the children and all of this is going on but the the people are trying to survive one day a good man in the community dies so a bunch of the brothers have picked him up they're taking him trying to do a burial service and they look up and here come those Moabite raiders they're coming they've got to get home because if they don't there's no telling what will happen to their children their wives their families so they've got this this man's body they don't know what to do They, they throw him off in this hole and he falls on top of Elisha's bones And when he hit Elisha's bones, the Bible said life came back into him. And he woke up 32 miracles right there. Amen. God came. Amen. Somebody listen to me. You may feel like you are in a hole somewhere tonight. You may feel like. What?
0: (laughs) So because they threw this. Poor guy's body into a hole, and then God resurrected him because he touched Elijah's bones. You might feel like you're in a hole tonight, and you know, and God's just throwing you on Elijah's bones, man. And you gotta, you know. oh man, this is absurd. Yeah, and what's causing all of this? Because you think the Bible's about you? It's not. It's about Jesus and what He's done for you.
5: Like you're an old bag of bones tonight, but there's an anointing that still rests in you. God's not done with you yet, my friend. Amen. God's not done with you. I don't care what the devil's telling you. I don't care what he's saying about your past, your mama, what you've done, what horrible things have happened. God's not finished with you. I don't care what hole you feel like you're in, what pit you feel like you're in. God has a plan and his anointing will break every yoke. It will set you free. God will do something in your life. Amen. Somebody shout amen.
0: Yeah, if I shouted amen, I would have to repent. I can't say amen to any of this. It's false.
5: Hallelujah. Now, if it had been left up to old Jesse, the world would have been different. Amen. The world would have been different. Jesus is supposed to come out of the line of David. So Jesse, the, the Holy Spirit recognized and, and moved. Samuel moved through all of that and found the right one, put the anointing on David. So years later, here we have David now. He's a boy. Are you with me tonight? He's a boy. And he's standing there. And Goliath is mocking all of Israel. And Saul has finally come to the point. He says to David, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. You fight with him. You're a youth. And he's a man of war from your youth. But David said these words. He said, your servants killed lions and bears. Your servant has, has knows how to fight those kind of spirits. Your servant's not afraid of this guy. In fact, I'm going to teach him a new technology. See, in those days, they used little 13-inch swords to fight. They, they had to get close. David even said to shave off the beards so that they couldn't be grabbed, pulled in. So they would find, they'd never done anything different than that. They even tried to put the armor on David. But David had a new technology called a slingshot. <laughs> Nobody had ever fought from 20 feet away. It was outside their scope of understanding. When David winded it up, they like, what's this boy doing? And bap, hit him right in the head, amen.
0: Um shepherds using slingshots was a common thing in fact back in the day all the way back there they had there were divisions within armies of guys who were slingsmen this
5: <laughs> is so awful
0: we continue
5: now giant is a big guy that goliath was a big tall guy I'm talking about shack look like a little boy amen are you here with me tonight You know, when a man gets to be 13 foot tall, how big his head is, (laughs) that brother got a big old meat head. Amen. (laughs) He's got a meat head, but the Bible says, David shot that stone right into his head down. He went and cut his head off and watch what it says. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent, took the armor. You know how far Jerusalem is 18 miles you know how a head starts to smell in about two miles? <laughs> Are you with me? We're talking a hot desert. He got this big old head. He walk along through there with his head. Okay. And the Bible says that he, uh, it, then David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine. Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine. He's going to show him the prize. And back in those days, they didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have penicillin. You don't be bringing those nasty old dead things off in the palace. Amen. Are you listening to me? And Saul says, get that nasty thing out of here. So they would have taken him off out to the east gate. They would have taken that head out there and they would have gone to a place called the dunghill. They would have gone to a place called the place of the skull. Later it would be called Golgotha. And that's where they would have buried that big old fat head. Now stop for just a moment. I'm almost done. Stop for a moment. If you go backwards in time, 2,000 years from that moment, you'll come to the garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's what God says to, in, in Genesis. Now let's go back the other way, forward 2,000 years, and you're gonna come to Jesus Christ, dying on a cross at a place called Skull Hill, at the very place they had buried the old skull of Goliath. He has nail-pierced hands. He has nail-
0: Again, how are you getting that they buried Goliath's head in Golgotha? Yeah, that that line of events didn't quite seem to connect correctly.
5: Oh, Pierce's feet and the blood is dripping and running down and off of his heels and right onto the place where that head would be. Oh, you're missing it. You shall bruise his heel, but he shall bruise your head. And that blood drips right on his head because of the anointing today. The blood of Jesus Christ is still taking dominion over Satan. Amen. There's something powerful I want you to hear right here. I believe that you and I are the body of Christ. How many of you believe that? I believe that we are actually living in the last days. Now let's talk just for a moment. Give me five more minutes and I'll be done. What's the first thing in a natural birth that comes out? The head. Jesus was the head of the body. The first thing birthed in this church was the head. The next thing through would be. <laughs> it's just. There's no
0: way to redeem, save, or rescue this sermon. It's, it's from the word go, it's off the rails. Hi. Hey, we continue.
5: ...be the shoulders of the government, the apostles and the prophets. Then would come the pastors and the teachers. And finally, you would come to the feet. I believe today we're the feet in the body of Christ. And what do feet do? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them. They shall march right on top of the devil's head. Amen. We're supposed to be stomping his head everywhere we go. <laughs> We're supposed to be taking territory. We're supposed to be fighting. Amen. Somebody say amen. There's not a giant that can stand before us. We're a people that are anointed to kill lions and bears in the sheepfold. We're supposed to reach out and take those lions and bears away from our children, away from our families. Amen. There's not a curse that the devil can put on us. We're a blessed people. Curses last. At- Notice who he's preaching about himself. Not Jesus at the maximum 10 years, but a blessing lasts a thousand. Amen. And we're a blessed people. We're a godly people. Somebody shout amen. Oh no, you didn't say amen loud enough. Say it again. God wants to anoint you. There's a harvest that's ready. We was just out there and saw thousands of Navajo people standing there ready. There's a harvest that's ready. God needs his army to rise up. God needs some people that will go out and fight lions and bears and eventually giants. The Bible says it shall come to pass in the last day, says God. I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions.
0: Yeah, that's from the prophet Joel. That was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost.
5: Visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men's service, my maid service, I'll pour out my spirit. And those, amen. You and I live in the day where God's getting ready to do mighty and miraculous miracles. God's getting ready to do awesome, incredible things. We just recently prayed for a boy. His bones were crushed in his foot. The bones were literally coming out of the skin. But when we prayed, the bones retracted and the heel, the foot healed, and God did a miracle. Our God is a miracle worker. Amen. Yeah, I'd like to see the medical
0: records for that.
5: Our God is still healing blind eyes and deaf ears. Our God is still setting the captive free. Our God is still alive, amen. And he's raising up an army in this last days. We're a people that are anointed by God. We may have some snakish past, but God says, I choose you. I choose you. I don't care about all your ugly old stuff. I don't care what your mama, your daddy did. I don't even care what you did. The blood will set you free and cleanse you and heal you. And I will anoint you and break every yoke off of you and send you back out there. Amen. The same stick the devil beats you with, you're going to beat him with. That's what I love about it. If I I'm, if I'm, uh, have somebody struggling with drug addicts, uh, with drugs, I want some, an ex-drug addict to deal with him. Because he knows how to handle that stick. Amen. So I want to say something to you tonight as I close. I feel that there's some of you in here that's kind of given up.
0: Uh, Yeah, I gave up on the sermon a long time ago.
5: That's what the Lord told me when I was praying about what to to deliver. You've, You've kind of given up. You're looking and you're saying, if they were to check my past, if anybody was to examine my past, they would see I'm not all that. Listen, it's not about you. It's about Jesus in you. Amen. Or you in Jesus. Amen. That's a better way to say it. You're the pebble in the ocean. You understand that? You're the pebble. He's the ocean. He's not in you, you're in Him. Amen. You're caught into Him. It's His dominion, His glory, His power. And He chooses you. He loves you. And He'll. And He said all that while still
0: preaching about Himself and you, not Jesus.
5: Wall you up in His love and His grace and His power. He'll anoint you. He'll take the worst of the worst and make them the best of the best. Amen.
0: He'll- yeah, see, he wants to anoint you and make you just like King David, you know.
5: He'll turn things around that will blow your mind.
0: Yeah, because he wants you to kill lions and bears and giants, you know.
5: And God tonight is looking at somebody in here. There's a few of you that I could actually point you out. The Holy Spirit's already showed me who you are. You you don't feel qualified anymore. Uh, the, the Spirit's pointing them out to you, huh? You don't feel able
0: anymore. You feel like, I'm done with this thing. You're wounded. You're hurt. Why should I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you when you just slandered David's father, Jesse, and accused him of adultery without any biblical warrant at all? Hmm?
5: Hurt. But there's an anointing that'll heal you tonight. There's a touch of it. I want you to bow your heads across this room. I want you to bow your heads.
0: Yeah, done. <clears throat> Yeah, don't get uh, Dr. Ray Kirkland praying for us. You get the point. Did we hear God's Word accurately preached? No. He said it's about Jesus, but who did he preach about? Himself. And uh, and what did he do? Narcissistic eisegesis. Straight down the line. He even did a fine job of uh, imitating uh, Stephen Furtick's false reading of the story of Elisha. Yeah, the Bible's not about you. It's about Christ. And it's written so that you might believe that Jesus is the anointed one. That's what Christos means. And by believing, you might have life in his name. Not that you are the anointed one or that you're going to, you know, slay bears and lions and giants, but that Jesus did all of that for you. Yeah, trust in him, believe in him, and in him you have life not in yourself, you're nothing special, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but you were purchased with the blood of Christ, so repent of your wickedness, and believe and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will live, what a mess, what did you think?